Each episode of Education with an Edge is meant to create, cultivate, and inspire honest discussion about issues affecting youth. Hosted by author, artist, educator, advocate, and speaker, Jaquel Lane. Hello and welcome. This is Jaquel Lane with Education with an Edge, the podcast that is all about youth and children because every child matters and that's what we believe. We are here with the talented Brandy Liberty all the way from New Orleans. Welcome, Brandy. Hi, Jaquel. Thank you for having me. I am so very grateful that you're here. And um, I would love just for you kind of to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background information, childhood, and then uh, most importantly, what you do as a as a career. Sure, sure. Great. Um, so I am an enrolled member of the Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska, and also a descendant of the United Home and Nation, which is here in southern Louisiana. Um, I was born and raised in New Orleans until I was 16 years old. Spent family vacations and summers in Nebraska with my grandparents, where I learned a lot of the beginnings of my Native heritage. Um, I always knew I was Native. I understood what that meant very early on, but I wasn't necessarily ingrained in the culture and um, in, in the practices because I didn't live near or on a reservation. You know, however... Growing up in New Orleans, I, you know, I lived amid so many different races and religions and sexual orientations and, you know, just cultural aspects and stuff like that. You know, I felt very well-rounded um, as a well-rounded individual um, and, you know, understood that there were so many amazing differences, you know, out there in the world and that I got to experience so many wonderful things growing up here. Um when I was 16, my dad and mom moved us to a small town in Nebraska, Rulo, Nebraska. Oh, wow. So I went from a town here, you know, <laughs> to New Orleans to a town of 200 people yes. where I related to most of them. <laughs> um, a little bit and, of a culture you know, shock. <laughs> definitely a culture shock in so many ways, because at that time, I mean, this was over 25 years ago. There was only one race there for the most part, you know, um, there was, you know, obviously a lot of the native Americans nearby from the reservations, you know, lived on the reservation. Um, and, and, and natives were the really only minority at the time. We didn't have African Americans and Hispanics and Asians in, in the, at the small town at that, at that time. Sure. Um, like we do now, which is crazy to me, you know, that just 25 <laughs> years later that, you know, they're, they're getting it's an become that diverse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which um, is that, you know, it, it, for me, it just sounds weird to say there was no diversity there when, <laughs> when I first were moved to up. Nebraska. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I graduated high school from there, you know, two years later, um, a small Catholic school there in uh, Fall City, Nebraska. And I went on to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Whoop, whoop. So go Big Red. Go big red. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I majored in history with an emphasis in Native American studies and ethnic studies. Um, I received a BA in arts there. Um, following my undergrad, I went on to the University of Kansas. Um, I am not a Jayhawks fan. I will always be a Huskers fan. Oh, we love you. <laughs> Even before LSU growing up here. <laughs> um, and I hold a Master of Arts from the Center of Indigenous Nation Studies there at KU, where I focused on tribal human resources. Wow. Um, that was kind of something that just kind of fell in my lap. It wasn't something, you know, I sought out to do. Um, and because of that, um, today I am the owner of Hirota Bikache Consulting, which is Iowa for Morningstar Consulting, um, which provides tribal consulting services to Native American tribes, tribal businesses, uh, some nonprofit organizations. Um, and I have over 10 years of experience working in Indian country, just in a variety of 
different topics, um, doing grant writing, grant management, um, teaching, um, policy development, you name it, I cover it. Um, at the same time, I'm also the chapter administrator for the National Cervical Cancer Coalition's New Orleans chapter. Oh my goodness. And so, I mean, with a resume like that, this, I mean, I just have obviously just the utmost respect for you, but um, <laughs> it's phenomenal that one person can, can uh, juggle all of those, all of those. Uh, oh, and then I also have two children. Yes. Two beautiful <laughs> children. I was going to say that single too. Single mom. Yep. Single Rock mom. Star mom. Um, one child on a spectrum. Um, the other also with ADHD. Um, so they also keep me very busy and and active and as active. well as all of this. <laughs> no, that's that's phenomenal. Um and even more phenomenal that just you you are there to be such a such a light and a sounding board um to get advocacy for these for these organizations and 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 Native Americans. I think that that's that's a absolutely phenomenal. And so um at education with an edge Brandy, we kind of like to focus on um Obviously, children and different, you know, looking at different career paths and things like that, um, but also looking back on our own childhoods and seeing, you know, who made an influence or who made a difference in our lives at a pivotal time. Um, so looking back on your own childhood, what's what memory? I mean, did what did you dream of becoming when you grew up and why? Or do you do you remember? Well, I always wanted to be either an attorney or yes. a history teacher. Very cool. Um, <laughs> Powerhouse. Yes. Um, you know, I and you know, those were those were my things. You know, on, on the side I kind of secretly wanted to also be a hairdresser, but knew I was gonna go on, you know, yes. and do other things as well. Um I still wish today I, I had that little hairdresser. Yeah, me too, you know, right? It would having... make life a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um and so when I started graduate school, actually, you know, I started with the intent of getting um, a dual law degree at the same time. Um, but very early on in my graduate school career, I realized I could focus on interpreting the law through human resources work, which I had already been doing, you know, as uh, employment through um, undergrad and those just that first year of graduate Absolutely. school. And so I kind of nixed the idea of going to law school. And, you know, today because I do a lot of work in Indian country, um, I, I do a lot of, you know, citing of federal regulations. Yes. Um, I do a lot of teaching. Um, I teach a lot of tribes on a variety of different topics, including federal regulations and federal Indian law related topics. Um, I do HR work for Native Americans. And so I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds without having to go on and getting that law degree or getting that history teaching degree. Um, but I still do all of those things, you know, in my, in my daily work professional environment. Day-to-day -day life. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, we ran through so many of your involvements, but one of them that, um, you know, one of the very many hats that you wear and you are such an accomplishment woman is that you um, are the New Orleans leader at the NCCC or National Cervical Cancer Coalition. What is your reasoning or your passion um, behind that, about, behind this disease? And what does it mean to you to be a part of that? Um, well, in 2017, my dear friend um, at the age of 35 was told that she only had a few months to live after being diagnosed with cervical cancer a few months prior. Um, 
she had one important wish as she fought through her battle with cervical cancer, and it was to continue her legacy by advocating and educating everyone on cervical cancer. Um, You know, there's a lot of information out there on ovarian cancer and other, you know, female related cancers, but cervical cancer oftentimes isn't fatal. It's caught early on. And for those that it is, you know, becomes a, a fatal disease. It there's not a lot of resources out there to either educate yourself or um, for family members and things like that to find resources. Um, or for young and, women as well. I mean, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, we, her and I talked a lot on her bedside, you know, on how, you know, not only do we not see this just in general, uh, the general public, but, you know, specifically, I know on, in Indian country, you know, and working with different he- Indian health services, it's not an area that's necessarily focused on as a whole. Um, and, you know, we all miss, you know, our Michelle dearly and yes. everything. Um, I know, I think you had yes, knew her as well. Yes. Lovely, um, wonderful and, person. you know, but I felt, you know, fulfilling her legacy was one way to continue, you know, to like, let her live on. Um, and uh, just a few short months after she passed away, uh, I became the chapter administrator um, for that New Orleans chapter. I reached out to the National Cervical Cancer Coalition found out that they did not have a chapter here in New Orleans. And I started kind of becoming an activist, you know, here with developing, um, trying to raise money and things like that. Um, Their mission is to help women and family members and caregivers battle the personal issues that are related to cervical cancer and HPV. uh, And then also to advocate for cervical health and all women by promoting prevention through education um, and also about early vaccinations, PAP testing, HPV testing, and recommended and all of those things. Absolutely, which are also vital and important to exactly. to survival, right? Exactly, um, exactly. So thank you for doing that. That's that's phenomenal. Um, so you are also the owner and tribal consultant at Morningstar Consulting. So can you tell our audience a little bit about this and what you want people to know about Morningstar? Yes, yes. So um, as I mentioned when I introduced myself, I... Um, I'm the owner of Morningstar Consultant. I've owned that organization for over 10 years now. Um, and I provide tribal consulting services to Native American tribes and tribal businesses. Um, my you know, initial experience started with just writing grants for my own tribe. Um, and from there over the years, it's kind of grown into you know, more having specialized services where I go out and do training and technical assistance. Um, on a variety of topics from things from customer service all the way up to federal regulations. Um, I also, I still continue to do grant writing today. I, it, that's one of the areas I you know really enjoy, um, especially focusing in Indian housing. Um, I also, you know, work directly with tribal governments. I have, um, right now, I'm also the program administrator for um, my own tribes, Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska's um, tribal justice strategic planning um, uh, grant where I am working with the different tribal justice entities of our tribe, um, so the courts, domestic violence program, sus- substance abuse yes. program, those things, where I am um, helping to develop a strategic plan for those um, each of those programs to grow um, and receive federal funding for future projects. Which are so imperative and essential um, yes. For, yes. For, for the success of of. of these people. Um, yeah. And you touched on the fact that, um, I want to talk about your time at the, as Ponca housing authority and some of the issues that you face with that. But I also, you know, I think that our listeners would love to hear about, we often, 
you know, hear from afar about the issues facing American Indians today. But can you, I mean, this is such a personal um, issue to you. Can you elaborate on some of the current problems on the reservations and how how you are working to help them? Yes. So, um, you know, first and foremost, my, my expertise um, is being a subject matter expert in a lot of the Indian housing programs. Um, HUD, I work directly with HUD um, very often on writing grant applications, um, going out and doing that training and technical assistance because, Indian housing is one area where, you know, I feel affects all Native Americans, um, whether Absolutely. they are work, you know, uh, utilizing their individual tribes housing authorities or whether they're living in their own homes or living in urban, um, you know, or rural areas. Um, there, There's just a common, um, I feel like, denominator there where majority of Native Americans are still living in absolute poverty, no matter where yes. they live. Yes. Um, it's, it's difficult for them to get housing um, because of some of the, uh, you know, other issues that are out there. Um, it's difficult for employment. Um, and, and that if you're living on the reservation, I mean, we already know what unemployment is like just out here okay. in urban and rural America. Yeah. But then you add in the reservation aspect that has very little economic development. Um, you know, unemployment becomes a challenge. And obviously, in order to have places to live, you need money. Um, And so, you know, a lot of uh, Native Americans still live in either overcrowded or what, uh, you know, HUD considers homeless conditions. Um, You know, we kind of see those individuals. It's not those that we see in, in the city aspect where you're, you know, living in a tent under the bridge. It's more of the, the crowd surfing where you have a many, many large families living in one house. So that's overcrowded. Um, and then on top of that, you know, that individual, some of those individuals may have initially had their own home, but have to basically couch surf from relative to relative. Sure. Um, and so we kind of see that as, uh, you know, as homelessness, they don't have their own place to go to. Um, and so, you know, obviously those just immediate issues with unemployment and homelessness and overcrowding definitely, you know, expand to some of the other current problems we see with alcoholism and mental health and violence against women and, and all of those things, you know, it, it becomes a, a, a cycle effect, yes. um, you know, in one way, shape or form. Yes. Um, and thank you for sharing that. Um, because our listeners need to know what, what, um, American Indians are facing right now since, Education with an edge is geared towards youth and at-risk youth specifically who we would like to listen to this podcast and something would click and it would help them to either motivate them or turn their lives around. What do you see young American Indians being faced with and what are some programs that are in place to help them succeed? I think the first, um, you know, a lot of those uh, Native American youth that are living off the reservation, that, mm-hmm. that are growing up in urban areas like myself and things like that, you know, often they they generally do well as far as, you know, taking the steps to, you know, when they graduate high school to go on to college and things like that. Um, and oftentimes, um, if they have grown up being ingrained within their culture and stuff, they're, they do things to give back to their communities um, or yes. other, you know, uh, Indian communities. But those that are living on the reservation, you know, there are so many different challenges as far as, you know, not getting a good education, you know, schools either being closed, not having schools nearby, needing to commute into, you know, some of the maybe mostly rural areas to go to those schools. Um, 
there's not a lot of programs in place for youth a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the substance abuse programs or domestic violence programs are going to focus more on uh, those individual adult individuals or, you know, families sure. components, but not, you know, there, there may be some boys and girls clubs and things yeah. like that. But um, juvenile delinquency becomes very rampant in a lot of reservation areas. Um, and, you know, and I've seen that, you know, within some of the reservations there in Nebraska and even, you know, just across Indian country as a whole. Um, you know, there are some programs there that, uh, you know, as far as tribes giving out scholarships for those individuals that want to go on to college and things like that. But again, you know, there's those challenges of finding, you know, the resources uh, outside of scholarships and things like that. You know, there's often this uh, myth out there that, oh, you're Indian, you get to go to college for free. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I, I can tell you, uh, I <laughs> sure as in heck did not go to college for free. <laughs> um, and I will be probably paying on college for the rest of my right? life. Like in the rest, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, within my program that I grad went to graduate school for, I mean, it, primarily most of us were Native American. I can name on one hand the number of students that came from more uh, prosperous and economically developed tribes yes. that did kind of cover college education mm -hmm. cost. But everybody else, I mean, most people go to grad school and you only focus on school. You know, all of, most of us had to We're work full time, well. go to school full time yes. um, and those sorts of things, you know, and have student loans right, <laughs> out like, of our ears. Like the rest of America, right? Just yes, like crazy, exactly, crazy. exactly. I'm so glad um, that and, you touched on so that because that's, yeah, that's and a so huge being able to, you know, as a, as a native youth, you know, finding um, a niche for yourself and and assisting your communities on developing programs and yeah. things like that. You know, if you feel that, you know, juvenile delinquency is being a problem, reach out to your tribal council and say, hey, let's build a basketball court. Do you have the funds for this? You know, or where, how can we help find grant money to build a basketball court to give us something to do versus going and um, stealing cars or, exactly. you know, smoking weed or, yes. you know, those sorts of yes. things. And so, you know, the youth, you know, at this point, you know, I feel they're, you know, just being educated, uh, you know, educating themselves, I think is important on what they can do to help their communities. Absolutely. And then making the right connections so that they can find the resources yes. that are available. Yes. Um, yes. And it, then being peer mentors for those younger ones that aren't quite there yet so that they can kind of learn. That's really the only way to start changing the cycle is, you know, it's got to start somewhere. Um, a lot of tribes right now, you know, we still have a lot of what we consider elders. Um, yes. You know, we're still, there's still two and three generations ahead of us still alive and, and working and running, you know, these Native American tribes. And a lot of them are still set in their old ways. And so it is up to our youth, you know, those high schoolers and, you know, those in their 20s and just going through college to really help make those changes within, you know, the tribal populations to, to grow and prosper and, um, you know, become more youth focused versus just economic development and um, farming and, you know, those yes. sorts of things. Yes. No, very, very good points um, on all accounts. So I always like to throw this question in here and I never want to throw my guests off, but you're so awesome. Um <laughs> So once again, we're here to inspire youth and community members. If someone were to ask you what you wanted your legacy to be, what would you say? Oh, goodness. <laughs> it's like that heavy hitter. It's like coming out, coming yes. out strong. 
Yes. I mean, I always, you know, I can always speak to, you know, my grandmother was uh, a very much a leader within our tribe and within our community there in Rulo, Nebraska. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to have known her growing up. I mean, my dad is the youngest of six boys, um, youngest by with a 10 year difference between the two. So all of my between the second and the first him, um, all of my cousins are my parents' age. Um, and so, you know, they they grew up with her as this, in the same way as my dad did, you know, very being very ingrained in the tribe uh, where yes. when, once I was born, you know, she was elderly then. And, you know, she would make us Indian dresses and, and things like that. And I would hear the stories of the things she used to do within the community. Um, you know, one thing in, in Rulo, there was an old Catholic church and in front of it was the pig pen for uh-huh. the town oh, wow. um, where everyone raised their, you know, where the hogs were being raised um, for the church and, and, and things like that. And she realized, okay, these youth are going crazy. Um, we need to do something for them. And she um, solicited the Catholic church and uh, the community to give funds and turn that pig pen into a playground. Oh my gosh. Um, and so a lot of what she did was definitely very youth focused. Um, you know, a lot of her, a lot of people will, uh, like to say that she was a, she made you work hard. She, you know, she was a, she was definitely a micromanager. You know, my dad spent many a summers mowing the Catholic cemetery up the street. Um, (laughs) you can ask anyone probably age 55 and up in that small town. What do you know of Ethel Liberty? And <laughs> they they will have some story of how she sent them to do some job that, you know, as they would put it, that she didn't want to do. She was a doer. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you know, I've, you know, I do what I do to help live out her legacy, I feel like. Um, I you know, that. I feel like I, I'm my my expertise is, you know, very um individualized, I guess you can Mm -hmm. say, you know, I've kind of built my career on my own. I don't know anybody else that does exactly what I do. Um, You know, I know some, I know native grant writers, I know native teachers, you know, but the all encompassing is very far and few between. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, I feel like my legacy needs to be to carry on basically the same legacy as my grandmother. You know, she wanted someone to be able to carry on what she did. Um, I'm the one in the family that's doing that now, you know, and I can only hope that my children or my kids' kids will, you know, do something of the same. Well, that is a legacy in and of itself. And they have a (laughs) phenomenal superwoman of a mother to look up to. So I'm sure that they will. Uh, Brandy, we are so grateful that you are able to join us here today on Education with an Edge. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, um, Brandy Liberty of Morning Star Consultants. Um, And I'm going to let uh, Brandy give a shout out on her social media and where you can find her. So, Brandy, would you just like to tell our audience where they can find you on Facebook? Yes, yes. Uh, I have a Facebook page. If you Google or go on Facebook and look up Morningstar Consulting, um, you'll see me there with my uh, in my regalia and my logo and all of that. Um, you can also find me um, through my website, um, HirodaBicacheConsulting.com. I will spell that out. It's H-E-R-O-D-A-B-I-K-A-X-E Consulting. Dot com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn as Brandy Liberty. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Brandy, and keep doing what you're doing. You're such a bright, shining light uh, in not just your community, but um, throughout the United States for um, for for Indian rights. So thank you so much. And thank you for being with us here today on Education with an Edge. Remember, we are the podcast that only cares about youth, communities, and families because we believe that every child matters and you should too. Thank you. If you have a question or just want to learn more, go to jaquellelane.com. Thanks for listening to Education with an Edge. A Parkville Media Production.